right, welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. My name is Scott McKenzie, and this podcast is uniquely positioned. And what I mean by that, we bring the medical industry, the medical professionals to you, and we talk about better pain management. We talk about rehab after surgery. We talk about improved mobility. And we talk about preventative care. And you know what else? We talk about so much more on this particular podcast. Now, thank you for joining this podcast. So let's get on with the interview. All right, welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. Uh, I am going to geek out on this particular podcast because we're going to be talking, yeah, rugby. Yep, that is a great sport, and I am truly passionate about it. We've got... uh, uh, Sean Rooker. Yes, you're saying to yourself, that's a heck of a name for a rugby player. Yep, it is. And then we have James Allison. And then we have a Dr. Daddy Mike, or we call him Dr. Casey over here. And of course, you know, Dr. Rick Lehman. And uh, so before we get going, let's get a little 411 on who Sean and James and, and uh, Dr. Casey, we're going to start with you, Sean, give us a little 411. And then we're going to hand it over to Dr. Rick. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, it's awesome being here. Um, my name is Sean Rooker. Um, I've been around rugby since 1999. Uh, I first started playing in Michigan uh, around that time um, in high school, um, state runner-up, state champion. Um, at one point in time, I uh, got recruited to the number two team in the nation, which was Bowling Green, Kentucky at the time, and uh, invited to go play in South Africa. Uh, ended up joining the United States Army, um, fought in the Iraq War, was combat wounded, uh, retired out, and uh, now I'm in Southeast Tennessee, and I've been coaching rugby for since r- roughly 2010, and um, now I'm coaching a, a men's team here. All right, uh, James, fire the missile there. James Allison, I'm a senior clinic manager for Cora Physical Therapy in our Athens, Tennessee location. I'm actually from Michigan as well, but I grew up here in Tennessee. I've been working with the company for going on five years. Uh, I know Sean Rooker very well. He and I are are doing this rugby thing together. He does the screaming and the yelling, and I try to keep people safe and, and get them back to the game. I would imagine there's a lot of screaming and yelling. All right, Dr. Casey, wrap it up, and then we're going to shift it on over to Dr. Rick. All right, Casey, orthopedic surgeon, uh, subspecialty in sports medicine. I did my fellowship in New Zealand. They know a little bit about rugby, and uh, – uh, I was off the plane for four minutes, and I was at my first rugby game. So I uh, came back to Knoxville, Tennessee, where I am now, and uh, the director of sports medicine at Tennessee Orthopedic Clinic in Knoxville. All right, Dr. Rick, it's all up to you right now. Don't let them down. So, everybody, first of all, thank you. This is a great topic, number one. And number two, I think there's a lot of people out there that don't really understand rugby. So we're going to do this a little bit differently tonight since we got Sean and we have Dr. Casey, who both uh, know a lot about rugby. So we're going to kick it off initially by talking about the difference between American football and the difference between injury patterns in American football. 5.2 injuries per thousand in American football versus 15.2 injuries per thousand in rugby. So that's kind of amazing. And to start out, Sean, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Number one, Please explain to us what hookers and flankers are and and kind of explain rugby versus football before we get started. Yeah, so a major difference between rugby and football is um, in in the game of rugby, it's a continuous game, a lot like soccer. So there is no downs. Uh, When the the ball carry is tackled, uh, the ball is still live. So if you're watching a rugby game and you see somebody tackled, 
and you see all the guys come over the top of them, they're actually fighting for the ball. Um, and then whatever team can push the other guys off and get the ball, the, the, the possession of the ball will actually switch teams several times during a game. Um, you can kick the ball at any time. Everyone gets to run the ball. Everyone gets to pass. Um, it's everyone tackles. Um, there, we, we always look at positions of football where you would have like a defensive lineman, offensive lineman, things like that. Um, rugby requires everyone to try to do all of the jobs instead of just one. <clears throat> um, as far as positions, uh, there's two main things. There's the forwards and there's the backs. Your forwards would be your bigger guys, which would be like in football talk, we'd be talking about your offensive and defensive linemen and your, your linebackers. Um, and then you would have your backs, which would be the size, uh, about the size of somebody who'd be a wide receiver or a running back or, or a quarterback. So um, when we talk about positions, um, you know, your, your, your front row guys, uh, which if you ever see a scrum, which is all the guys coming together and they slam into each other, um, which replicates, you know, the snap of a ball um, in football. Uh, you know, your front row guys would be your defensive and offensive linemen. Your second row guys would kind of be um, the equivalent of like your linebackers and, and so on uh, as you go back. Um, and then you would have uh, your scrum half, which is the equivalent of a quarterback. He's the guy who gets the ball out. He's the first one to throw the ball out and start the attack on offense. So it's a continuous game. Oh, so let's let's talk about scoring real quick, just so we can um, explain this to our listeners. Do you get seven points for a touchdown, or is there a point after? How, tell us about about scoring, kicking it through the uprights. Give give us the whole story. Yeah, so uh, in rugby, you actually have to put the ball on the ground. Um, it is called a try in rugby when you score a touchdown. It's actually called a try. Um, it can make the scoring a little bit uh, more difficult because if you run into the end zone or the try zone uh, in rugby, um, if someone pushes you out of bounds in the try zone, in, in, the, in the touchdown area, uh, the goal zone, um, it doesn't count. So unless you touch the ball on the ground, it's not a score. That is worth five points in rugby. And the kick after is actually worth two. And that's because if you put it in the corner of the end zone um, on either side, you actually kick from where the ball has been placed on the ground in the end zone. So you actually move about 20 yards back and you will have to kick at the angle of where you put the ball down in the end zone or the, the try zone. So um, it makes kicking a little bit more difficult, which is why it's worth two points instead of, you know, your normal just one extra point. Awesome. Thank you very much. That was good. And I think everybody hopefully gets a little bit of a feel for the continuous nature of rugby uh, and the lack of pads as we wear it in NFL football. So one of the things for an orthopedic surgeon and a sports guy like Dr. Casey and myself is the lack of protection that you're going to see oh that's beautiful the cup with the rugby on it um, <laughs> yes, we love that um, the, the thing that we're going to see is we're going to see injuries based on probably significantly more contact which is why the incident to injuries is probably so much higher so Dr. Casey I'm going to kick it back to you for just a second and tell us what what are the most common injuries in rugby what what do we expect to see as sports physicians as physical therapists and as ancillary healthcare workers in terms of the most common, and then maybe the most severe injuries that, that you're going to see uh, post-rugby? 
Probably just from on the sideline standpoint and what gets recorded as an injury or sprain, strains, contusions. And that, that's a that's a pretty large number, up to 30-plus percent of all the injuries in, in rugby just because of the contact nature of it. Um, your head and uh, face injuries probably are the areas that are mostly affected, concussions. I will tell you that differs greatly in U.S. rugby versus international rugby. Uh, at least I can from my time when I was in New Zealand. But what eventually gets to, to probably your office and, and mine um, are your extremity injuries. And, again, it's typically probably more shoulder than knee, purely from the nature of tackling and how you tackle. And, and Sean can, can go into great detail with that, but you don't necessarily it, – it's, it's more open-arm tackle. It's, it's chest up. You don't lead in, obviously, with your head. Uh, and that's probably uh, really why I, what I have seen is more of your – head and face uh, concussion injuries in U.S. rugby as opposed to, to when I was in uh, New Zealand and over in Australia with it just because the tackling mechanisms. As kids, we grow up playing football, and you lead with your shoulder. And back when we played, you led, led with your head. Of course, that's that's changed now. Uh, but, but that's typically what we see the most of. Thank you. So, James, let's, let's talk about some of these sprains and strains a little bit. Um, Dr. Casey sees somebody. They have – let's say a sprained ankle or some MCL damage, uh, maybe some patellofemoral overload damage from direct contact, he sends them over to physical therapy. Kind of walk through us, A, the mechanism of the rehab, and B, when that athlete can expect to go back to playing rugby. Because their first question is going to be, okay, when can I get back to play? Especially in rugby, those guys are all nuts. So what, what, when, when, what do you tell them? When, what is your treatment plan and when can they go back and play? If they're seeing, you know, Doc first, he's probably going to give them a good idea. And he's if he sends them to therapy, he's going to have, you know, the grade of the injury. And that kind of indicates the timeline. When I'm first seeing them, if it's acute, you know, we got to calm down the inflammation. I'm going to check out the joint mobility, check if there's any, um, you know, structural damage, any, you know, instability, just like what the doctor's looking at. Main thing first, though, is calm down irritability, check out mobility. If there's motion losses, we're going to restore that first. And then when we get to the stabilization and the strengthening phase, if there is weakness, that typically takes the longest. So, you know, realistic timeline, it depends on the grade. It could be one week, it could be two weeks. These guys a lot of times are going to get back out there on their own. But Coach and I uh, have a very good relationship, so I'm going to communicate with him as well. Just kind of like they might be trying to get out there. They're not yet. They're not fine yet. So we'll, we'll communicate back and forth as to what they need to focus on. I'll slowly restart them to start doing practice and we're very functional in our clinic as well. It's wide open. So we're doing a lot of drills specifically to rugby. And, and if they can do those things in the clinic, then we're going to be a lot more comfortable with them going back onto the field. And we'll probably start more individual work before they get back into the contact and to the actual gaming. Thank you. That was great. So it, it, Dr. Casey brought up something that I think is very important and, and is a kind of a hot topic in my practice. And I think most sports guys practice and that's concussions and, the NFL is worried about it. D1 football is worried about it. The NHL is about to be very worried about it. So let's talk about concussions and rugby in the context of concussions in American football and concussions in rugby. And before we kind of shoot that back to Dr. Casey, I would like to understand what the headgear is. Sean, can you tell us how you protect the head and how much of the head is exposed in rugby versus football and 
what the differences are in contact in terms of rugby versus football? Well, um, as far as headgear goes, it is it is player preference. I guess you would reference this to the old days of hockey where there was like that grandfather law where it's like the, the guys who weren't wearing helmets were coming into the era of where guys were wearing helmets and some guys wore them, some guys didn't. Um, in rugby, we do have protection if the player decides to wear it. It is a thin, it's about a quarter inch thick and it's like a, it's like a foam, but it's not a very pliable foam it's it's uh it's a very it's a protectant i guess it would be the equivalent of of the under pads that you would wear under shoulder pads for football um because rugby is a sport that does not have helmets and things like that we cannot have gear that has any type of um metal or or plastic clips uh exposed because if someone's coming to make a tackle and they hit that with their eyes or their face you can tear skin um so all the players' equipment has to be uh, neoprene or foam. Um, and, you know, some players uh, just go as easy as just taping their ears back so that they don't get rubbed, you know, with all the tackling and stuff like that, protect their ears from get, getting them ripped off or something. But um, as far as with rugby uh, and, and football, <clears throat> you know, um, I'm an old football player as well. We were, you know, we had the face mask. We led with, you know, the old days you led with your head, you try to bury it through someone's chest, stuff like that. Um, the good thing is, is that, you know, sports medicine and, you know, injury awareness in general has, has just excelled. Um, so we, we try to, uh, with rugby, because we do not wear face protection. And if you, even if you do what we call a scrum cap, um, which is the foam. It, it literally only covers your ears. It looks like the, like a wrestler's uh, headgear. It covers your ears and the top of your head in, in, a, in, a, in a very minimal foam. Your face is still um, wide open. <laughs> so uh, when you tackle, you have to, you know, you have to be smart about it. Um, you have to, you have to practice technique and practice um, and, and use that technique and repetition like crazy so that in the game, in the chaos of the game, your, your muscle memory is to make those clean tackles, keep your head out of contact, which is where we see a lot of the concussions because you players from other sports will come into rugby, primarily football. They're not used to not having a helmet and you will see them lead in with, with their face and put it in the way of contact. And that's where you get a lot of the, the concussions and, and head injuries. So, so the idea is not to lead with the crown of your head or, or your, 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 your noggin. It, and, and, and so as opposed to football, where like Dr. Casey said, you know, back in the day, you were going to stick somebody, you were going to hit them with the crown of your helmet. We've gotten away from that. Is most of the tackling mostly shoulder or how, how do you tackle somebody? Yeah, so, yeah, so we, we have a technique. We actually call it cheek-to-cheek. -cheek. So um, when someone is running at you, you would lead with your shoulder. Uh, in rugby, you cannot make a tackle higher than pretty much uh, mid-chest up to head. It's illegal to hit people in the head in rugby. Um, so you have to make a tackle pretty much from mid-chest down. Um, you would lead with your shoulder, and what we call cheek-to-cheek -cheek is you actually put your, your cheek, your facial cheek, on the side of, of the butter. So you're getting your head out of contact. You're, you're taking it away from the center of the body. You're making contact with your shoulder, keeping your head out of contact. 
And when you come in and you wrap up, you wrap up behind the legs and you squeeze as hard as you can. And it keeps your, it keeps your head out of contact. And that way also when you land, um, you're not, your head's not up under the person you tackled. Um, you're actually laying on top of your head is on top of the first, the ball carrier. So um, we, we really stress um, keeping your head out of contact because anytime, uh, especially with athletes with the size and power that they have now, anytime you are going to put your head into contact nine times out of 10, you are going to have a serious issue. That's excellent. I think that we better understand kind of the biomechanics of tackling. So Dr. Casey, let's talk about concussions for a second and, and give us your thoughts on the incidents severity and treatment for concussions for a rugby player? Well, in, in the U.S., I think you stay the numbers. It's almost four times higher uh, than in, in, in football. And, again, those are more recent numbers, which um, correlate to still what Sean was talking about is probably poor technique from the rugby standpoint that leads to that, but also has to be attributed to a little bit of, of the education in tackle football of how they decrease the instance of, of concussions. And with the safety gear and the helmets is uh, much better uh, protection than they are. So, you know, purely to, to Sean's point, it's all about technique. It's all about um, avoidance of that. Um, the problem is you just get in, get in the game and there's a guy running for the tri zone and you're going to stop him. Uh, and it may be, you're maybe stopping them with your uh, nose or eyebrow or whatever it is you're going to put in front of them. But uh, I've never seen a rugby player not try to stop somebody. Uh, if they don't, they're, they probably won't be playing rugby very long. So, um, you know, even again, too, just even if they're not leaving with their head, I'll see sometimes, too, being on the sidelines watching. It's They're going in with, a, with great technique and they're going low and they're, you know, they get a knee to the head. They get a knee to the side of the temple. Uh, other players coming in on top of them. Uh, I think the, you know, when you're, when you're down in a ruck and there's a bunch of guys just in there too, uh, you'll, you'll see a good bit of that. So once this athlete gets a concussion, Dr. Casey, what's your treatment protocol? They come in, you work them up, give us your workup and then kind of give us your thoughts on treatment. Well, we, we kind of follow the fairly at least if you want to call it standard protocol, the, you know, the, the, the concussion protocol, uh, where any signs or symptoms, then uh, they're, they're put on the sidelines and then you, you, you follow the whole process of, of, the, of the standard of the protocol of return to play, which is you know, anywhere, as you know, Dr. Lehman, from up to seven days uh, or even longer when they're asymptomatic. So they got to be asymptomatic. Uh, with that rest, and then we start getting them back into some activities, and they have to be asymptomatic with that. At any point in time, they become symptomatic, then they back up a step in the in the system. That's great. And, and do you do you do any kind of testing? You get CAT scans, or do you ever get X rays? No. Or is there any no, no, not not unless there's any any uh, indications there could be some sort of a orbital fracture, skull fracture, things like that. But otherwise, we try to stay away from. Uh, the testing. And that's if, if we can get in front of them before, and we're talking about high school rugby here, uh, if we can get in front of them before their mom does that rushes them off to the ER to, <laughs> to get the, the CAT scan, if we can get in front of them and talk them off the ledge a little bit and let them know that we actually know what we're doing with this, then uh, we can avoid some of those unnecessary tests. I think that was a good comment, get to them before mom does. Huh? I think yeah, that's very that's appropriate. Right. So, 
James Allison, tell us how you're going to – the athlete comes in, he has a concussion. Is there anything specific you're going to do, any balance, any techniques, uh, cervical spine? H- how are we going to treat this concussion from a physical therapy standpoint, if, if at all? We're definitely going to check, you know, vestibular and visual stabilization. It can do a little bit of short-term memory things, give them a couple words, a couple numbers, uh, you know, halfway through the treatment, have them repeat it back to me. But definitely – Static balance, single leg standing. Can they walk and turn their head? Are they off balance? And then we're going to, you know, look at neck mobility. A lot of these injuries can be associated like a a car wreck, a whiplash injury. So the top two cervical vertebrae can really be affected. So I'm going to do instability testing hands-on, make sure I don't feel like there's anything unstable. And that's another thing that we could send out to get an x-ray if it felt like it was going on. But my main priority early on is clear the neck and then focus on the symptoms, whether it's balance, vision, and things on things of that nature. Um, light sensitivity, we'll, we'll dim the room, we'll put them in, you know, uh, schedule a long lunch where it's not as busy, where we don't have as much background noise or anything like that, really just allowing them to relax because this can cause a lot of stress and you start getting headaches and other things and just prolongs the recovery. Now, is there anything you can do preseason to get these kids ready to avoid overloading the cervical spine, concussions, et cetera. Is there, is there a strengthening program? Is there a prophylactic program that they can be doing knowing the season's coming up or knowing that they played X amount of years of rugby and have a propensity possibly for, let's say, some cervical spine problems, some tingling in their fingers, some uh, soreness in their neck? Is there any, any way to, to prophylax against this in the offseason? If they have neck issues – that are, you know, unrelated to rugby or even related to rugby. Again, we treat just the limitations that are going on. So definitely having full neck mobility is going to help you. If you can have a full side bend and rotation, you're going to be able to get your head out of the way a little bit better. And if it's numbness and tingling down the arm, I'm going to utilize McKenzie method, which I treat the spine with. And we can do stabilization exercises as well. Isometrics generating a lot of force through the neck muscles. You can train your neck to get strong, just like any other muscle. But I would say preventatively, the biggest thing is show up to practice. Let Coach Rooker show you how to get cheek to cheek and you're not going in, you know, missile diving. I think a big difference with the rugby and NFL and just football in general is you put these helmets on people. They're meant to protect them, but they also get used as weapons. So taking that away, I think it makes them a little bit more cautious and the training that goes into the actual tackling. If you show up to practice and you do it over and over, you're definitely going to be you know, on the, the safer end. I think that's right. I think it, 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 it's a hard sell to have somebody stick their bare head or with one of those little thin rugby helmets into somebody else's head where, where I think the football helmet uh, gives you a sense of invincibility. So yeah, you can spear and you can tackle with your head and you think you're protected. You're not protected, but you think you're protected. So Dr. Casey, what, what is, Give me the signs and symptoms where you're going to tell an athlete, you know what, you're not going back. What, what has to happen to that athlete where you're not going to clear them to go back to play rugby from a concussion standpoint? And then we'll talk about injuries in general. Are you, you're talking about at the time of injury or when they're coming in as a return to sport back that week or the next game or what have you? Well, specifically. First, first, yeah, walk us through. You're standing on the sidelines – uh, when are you going to tell the athlete you're done, hasta luego, you're, you're not going back in? And when are you going to tell that athlete in your clinic 
you know what, I don't think rugby is your deal any longer? Well, for the, f- the first part, again, it's, it's really any symptoms. If they had uh, obviously any loss of consciousness and all, they're done. Um, they're out of the game, obviously. And, and the other ones, too, is uh, uh, headaches, dizziness, blurred vision, um, any of those symptoms with that. Uh, you know, with rugby, too, you can't necessarily – and Sean can go over these rules, too. There's a little bit different with rules of, being, of coming off the game and being able to go back on. Uh, you can, you know, take a minute, as we kind of call it on the – that we, we talk to the refs or we, we call them the SIRs, uh, of letting – just kind of letting the guy player clear his head, so to speak. But you know, I've got – we've got – we typically have a on the conservative side pretty low threshold if they're symptomatic at all. And, again, using the uh, headaches, dizziness, uh, blurred vision uh, – um, any of those signs of symptoms, I'm not let, we're not going to let them go back in on the game. And then we, again, initiate in the office uh, that, that full concussion protocol. And we actually have a primary care sports medicine guy, that, the doctor that works with us, who has done a lot of work with concussion. So I, I have the benefit of sending that player right down the hallway to, the, to someone who's kind of more of an expert than that. In regards to the last thing about someone not returning to play to rugby at all, it's it's there's fortunately few, but there's been a couple of players that have just had repeated concussions when they're on their third or fourth concussion, whether it was from rugby or even something else. You have to have that serious conversation with them because uh, we all know the the long term effects that are coming coming across now with repeated concussions. So, and again, most of these guys aren't aren't professionals. Um, now you get to the professional level. Uh, that's a whole different, whole different ball game, and, and you you probably dealt with that some in your practice too, Doctor Lennon. But um, again, my my year in New Zealand, uh, never had anybody that had a concussion. Just ask them, ask any player there; they've never had a concussion because <laughs> they're never going to admit to it. So. I think that's one of the things; those guys are just so tough, and and, and and I agree with that. So let's talk about lower extremity injuries. So we talked a little bit about strains, sprains, and strains. What are the more serious injuries we're going to see, Dr. Casey, in, in rugby? And then we'll shoot it back um, to James to kind of tell us how we're going to treat those. But, but from a lower extremity standpoint, I mean, it makes sense. You're going to have shoulder injuries. That's how you tackle. That's how you block. But what, what are the lower extremity injuries we would expect to see? And, again, what, how common are they? The, the most common are, are more involving the ankle. Uh, whether, whether it's sprains, strains, uh, you know, the occasional fracture. But, again, a little bit of that overuse that James was talking to and Sean is that the game never stops. So it's, it's two 40-minute halves of nonstop running. And, and in the training and practice, the, you know, most, most good coaches kind of run them, are running pretty good too because building up endurance. So a lot of overuse. Uh, what I'll see in a game, typically uh, ankle sprains, very common, uh, depending on the field. And, again – the, the tackling part's a little bit different. It's you get twisted, you get turned down, the ball's still alive, so you get right back up and you get hit again. They're rolling around on the um, in the in the rucks and and even sometimes in the scrum. Probably the 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 most that I will see that takes them out for the season are, are still probably ACLs. Um, and again, I still see these really as non-contact injuries. Uh, just again, it's it's a very quick side-to-side game, avoiding trying to avoid uh, tackles as well. Um, 
the upper see more of the upper uh, torso and stuff in the scrums, and uh, I'll let, I'm not going to I'll let Sean describe a scrum. He can do it better than I can. But again, those guys too are, are getting to it, and, and some some shoulder stuff. But but again, the, the the vast majority of what I'm seeing lower extremities, ankle sprains first, and then your knee. Typically more ACLs than anything else. And Sean, since 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 we uh, broached the subject, explain the scrum one more time for us. So, yeah, a scrum happens uh, when there's a penalty on the field that would stop play. Um, it, for instance, if my team commits a penalty like, you know, um, a, a knockout or something like that, uh, which is I lost control of the ball um, and it went forward, um, you would have a reset in play, which is a scrum, which is you have eight forwards. So once again, football talk, we're talking about your defensive, offensive lineman size guys and your middle linebacker sized athletes um they would come together as eight on eight we call them packs um and so one team would have eight forwards my team would have eight forwards they would come together with flat backs with their heads slightly lifted so that they're not going with their head down for any type of neck injuries or head injuries that come from scrums and uh what happens is is they would say uh crouch bind set uh, that is a cadence given by the ref or the sir, as we call them. Um, and at that point, both bodies, uh, the, the both packs of the team will actually collide and come together and be bound on each other. So it don't, don't think of it as just they're just slammed into each other and there's no control. You actually reach out and grab the guy in front of you. So you're, it, it is a, you're bound and it is a controlled contact. And then what happens is the scrum half also – like the quarterback would throw the ball in the middle and both teams, both packs are actually pushing back and forth on each other to maintain or to gain or maintain possession of the ball. It's a lot of beef. It's a lot of beef, a lot of beef. So where's the ball? So the two guys are holding on to each other. Everybody's rocking back and forth. The ball's in the middle. Is someone going to pick the ball up and run with it or what's going to happen? So what happens is, is I can't, um, this is a safety thing. So, um, I cannot reach down with my hands and try to slap the ball back. I'm actually, as I'm engaged and reaching out to the opposing player and grabbing them and binding onto them, I'm using my feet to kick the ball backwards to the back of the pack where the quarterback, almost like when he puts his hands, you know, below a center, it's the same, it's the same aspect. He would put his hands down into the back of the pack grab the ball like it was snapped to a quarterback, and he would start his first pass. Perfect. So it sounds like that's a high-intensity – the scrum is a high-intensity event. So, James, someone comes in, they've had their strains and their sprains, they have an ankle injury, you work it up like a typical ankle injury. Tell me the incidence of high ankle sprains in rugby, one, and two, um, again, are these short-term injuries that guys get back pretty quick? Uh, what's the rehab and, and, and when can they, unlike upper extremity injuries, when can they expect to get back to playing? High ankle sprains are going to take much longer to get back. That's where multiple ligaments are damaged and not just the, the lower ones from your typical inversion where the foot rolls underneath you. Um, it, I wouldn't say that initial, just the ankle rolling, rolling under you, call it just your inversion strain. That's going to be the most common. Now, if there's a lot of impact loaded on top of you, you have someone like Coach Rooker coming on top of your leg, you're probably going to get that higher ligament as well. It's going to cause a lot more instability. Some of those can actually cause nerve damage and 
acute swelling in the lower leg significantly and bruising. So if it's that end, that's going to take a whole lot longer to rehab. But as far as return to play, we're looking at it from an irritability standpoint. Uh, are they really painful when I'm testing the ankle and the, the stability of it? Is it really, really loose? So a lot of early on, we're going to just stabilize the ankle and let the body kind of heal it, get the inflammation out of there. So the pain is down. And then we're going to work a lot on balance and stability of the ankle. The ankle moves so much. And with it being a contact sport, one thing that we like to do is have them balance on that one leg while doing, we call them manual perturbations, where I'm going to kind of try to nudge them off their spot and really get the foot and ankle going. And then we can add in, they're standing on the one leg, we're throwing a rugby ball while I'm also contacting them and, and nudging them. And then running and cutting, stopping, all that stuff, if that's pain-free, then we're going to be able to be pretty comfortable getting them back. And just for precautionary measures, we're still probably going to use braces or taping the ankle just so it doesn't keep recurring because a lot of times they're going to go back before it's 100% healed. And sometimes the ankle never really gets back to 100% if you do enough damage to it. I think that's a good point. I think we see that, you know, in basketball and lacrosse, et cetera, guys feel pretty good. Maybe they haven't really, their PNF's not that great. Um, their lateral mobility is not that great, but they want to play. So they get taped and they play. And that certainly sounds like a rugby player. The guys I've taken care of, which are many, uh, clearly will play hurt. So Dr. Casey, tell us how we're going to make this game safer. Is there something rule wise, parent-wise, coach-wise, how are we going to make this game safer? Or is there any need to make this game safer? Well, I think you can always make it safer. The, the safer you make it, the more likely you're going to get kids and parents to allow them to come out and play. Uh, from my standpoint, it, it's just education. It's you start players younger uh, and you develop them as they, they, they get out older and get bigger and stronger and faster. You know, we had some issues – here a while back when in, in Knoxville, they started a high school league and it took off like wildfire because you got a lot of kids who didn't want to play other varsity sports and they came out and it was starting grassroots of somebody who had no rugby knowledge. Um, we had some favorable football coaches who realized too that this was a great way for their fall football athletes to maintain good shape and technique and agility during the spring because that's typically when the season was played. Um, and those guys did fantastically, and it helped both sports. Uh, but then as things change, then they don't want the football players, don't want their guys going out playing rugby because they're going to get hurt. So always making the game safer is always going to, it's going to benefit the sport. It's going to make it more popular. Um, and, and for me, it's just it's education, education, education. I don't think there's really a whole lot you can do in regards to uh, – protective gear uh i think if you start giving everybody scrum scrum hats as they call them the little helmets then they're going to think they're wearing a helmet and they're going to lead in with their head even more um training getting in shape uh off-season workouts all those all those sorts of things are always going to keep athletes safer perfect and then one last question and then i'll kick it back to everybody for their thoughts um dehydration a problem hydration a problem Give us kind of the I's and O's, input and output of, of, of a rugby player, and, and do we have to be concerned about hydration, et cetera? Uh, absolutely. And as you know, the studies show, it's not about loading up on fluids the, the morning of the game. It's the 48 hours before. Um, 
And depending on if this is high school or college, that's going to dictate what they're drinking 48 hours the night before. Um, and that's an issue with college guys, I'll tell you. But, uh, you know, load them up. And, you know, and most, too, again, the, there's not time between plays. These guys are running nonstop. Uh, the, the, most of, uh, too, especially on hot days, the, the, the surge are pretty good about taking some time so the you run the water out and, and keep staying hydrated, but it, it's an issue just like any other sport. And, and again, education, education. Um, and you know, fortunately I haven't seen too many or very hardly any or few, any, uh, where we've had some real, real critical dehydration cramping is the biggest thing you'll see. You know, that's always the first start of it. That's excellent. You know, they're big guys. I'm sure they sweat. And like you said, it's like soccer a little bit. The game doesn't stop. So I think the hydration part's important. And as you also said, sometimes they're probably hydrating the night before with things that aren't all that hydrating for them. So um, yes, that's, that, that is it. And that's, you know, that's the folklore. So we love that. So Sean, what do we forget? Tell us what we missed, what we should have uh, added to this podcast. Well, I think that we touched on a lot of good good areas and a lot of things that needed to be addressed. Um, I, I agree with, uh, you know, Dr. Casey. I think that education, um, especially in the United States, because it is a growing sport here as opposed to, you know, European nations, uh, New Zealand, South Africa, places like that. Um, you know, people have to realize that this is not this is not football. This is this is a sport that is played uh, without almost no padding. Um, and you have to be, you have to play smart. Um, you have to, in a way also, um, you know, it's a chaotic sport that's, that's played by gentlemen. Um, you know, we're, we're, uh, Dr. Casey was talking about the ankle injuries and stuff like that. You know, we, we teach, um, that my shoulder should not be hitting any lower than the bottom of the shorts. I shouldn't be having to hit somebody in the kneecaps to bring them down. Um, I shouldn't have to be hitting somebody in the head to bring them down. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we're especially in rugby. Um, you know, it is it is a culture that after you're done playing the other team, you hang out with the other team mm-hmm. uh, at the high school levels and the college levels. For anybody who's going to go to pro or from high school to college, uh, there is a high chance that you'll be playing with these guys on your team. You you'll be seeing them again. You don't want to make enemies. You don't want to hurt somebody um, because they could be your teammate down the road. Um, which is, you know, a, a huge reason, um, you know, when we talk about education with when I was coaching high school and now with the men's team, you know, that's why I brought, you know, James, uh, James Allison in is because I can send my athletes to his clinic and not only are they getting, you know, good recovery there, but they're also getting, they're learning a lot. <laughs> they're getting that education. Um, you know, it, it, we're trying to overcome that, that bridge of, you know, the athlete with lack of education. It's not all just about athleticism. Um, we have to be smart about it. And, um, you know, going forward, I, I think that uh, through USA Rugby and all the programs that they're starting to put together and coaching clinics, uh, we will get uh, higher level coaches to teach higher level techniques, safety in the game. Thank you. James, what do we forget, buddy? I think kind of following up on the preventing more injuries and hydration and the education aspect that comes down to coaching significantly as well. Having someone that actually knows the game, knows what they're doing and cares about their players. 
Coach Rooker is, is one of those guys. He knows the game very well, as we've already seen. And he knows the importance of rehab and, and the preventative measures. So it's rehab after the injury. But from my standpoint, if I can do prehab on you and not even have to see you after an injury, that's even better. So one thing that he encourages and I do as well is if there's any question about your physical abilities or your movement, just come see me. Let me do an assessment. We can start at the top down talking about the neck. Can we prevent head and neck injuries? Look at our ankles and our hips. Are we susceptible to pulling our hamstrings? Um, ankle dorsiflexion is actually where, if you're unfamiliar with the motion, it's where you're pulling your foot up towards you at the ankle. Lack of dorsiflexion mobility is a huge risk factor for injuries in high-level athletes. So that's a, a big thing that I treat a lot. And we we're talking about all these ankle injuries. A lot of that can be prevented with proper taping before the game, but also making sure that you're doing the right things to be moving going in and not be so stiff and tight. You know, I think those are good points. And I think obviously those are points the athletes can work on in the preseason. Like you said, pre -re prehab, getting ready for the season. And I think the more flexible you are, and obviously the better shape you're in prevents some of these sprains and strains and clearly prevents dehydration and, and sort, sort of the heat illnesses that we described. Um, Dr. Casey, uh, sum it up here. What, what do we forget and, and what, what should we have talked about? Um, I think just of, of trying to promote the sport too. I think when you got a, a, a forum like this and hopefully people are watching or becoming more interested in rugby, it's an amazing sport. It's a great sport. I, I wish it had been around here when I grew up. I grew up playing football as, as well too. And then uh, when when I was got a, the opportunity to go go over to New Zealand, the you know we were we were I was playing some some rugby with those guys over there, and so it. it it's an amazingly good sport. The camaraderie of it is amazing too, between even two different teams. So I love anything like this that can promote it. I think it's a great sport. I think it can, doesn't take away from football or any of the other sports. I think it can only help make an athlete even more athletic. And so anything that we can do to promote the safety of the sport, promote the recovery of the sport uh, is just going to help, help everyone in the long run. It's never too late to play, Daddy Mike. We got a league in Athens <laughs> that just started up. You come show us what you got. I, I'm at the I'm at the point where I'm just happy to to help those others who are playing, and I'll <laughs> let them do that. Well, I think it is a great sport. I think it's a sport that we sometimes watch on TV. Um, when you're in Europe, it's always on TV at, at sports bars. So, uh, and and the passion in, in Europe is amazing. We're in Australia, and there. Australia was playing England and you, you, you think it was the finals of the world cup or the finals of the super bowl, or it was crazy. So I think it's a sport that has a, a, a lot of growth potential in the United States. And I hope everybody in enjoys the sport and I hope it does continue to grow. And I think you're right, Dr. Casey. I think we just have to get the word out of what a great sport it is and that it is different than football. I think everybody has a sense that it's like football when it's really quite honestly, nothing like football. But, uh, again, this was a great forum, and, and I think it's bringing to light uh, a lot of information. And I think sports guys are going to see rugby injuries, so I think this is going to be very helpful to give them a basis, understand the sport a little bit, understand the injuries a little bit, and give them a basis to move forward. So I, I thank all you guys. You've done a phenomenal job. Yeah.
Thank you. Absolutely Thanks for inviting great. me. It's my pleasure. I, I have yeah, a couple of questions. It. I have a couple of questions to uh, uh, Rooker. Uh, one, is it a prerequisite to grow a beard and play rugby? <laughs> Actually, when you start playing rugby, you automatically get a beard. Oh, very good. It, uh, it doesn't surprise me. And then the other thing is, are there any shenanigans that happen within uh, the scrum? <laughs> uh, uh, well, uh, he's hesitating. It has been known, um, you know, guys, uh, well, you know, when you play several a team several times in the season or throughout the year, you will start to make friends with the guy uh, across from you. And, and, you know, in scrums, you'll hear guys, you know, I, I mean, I literally had one of my hookers one time squeal like a pig just to throw the other team off when they collided <laughs> with each other. And the other team just, they threw their hands up and backed them right up off the ball. They thought something was wrong. We got the ball and we took off with it. So, um, you know, there, there are some funny things that happen. Guys, guys will pinch each other. Guys will, yell or say funny things, but it's usually to guys that you know that are friends on the other team. But to your point, Sean, it's all out of just friendship. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, good. As long as we just established that, it's a friendly sport, uh, a sport of gentlemen. You guys are all great, man. I'm telling you, this was a great conversation. Sean, <laughs> Dr. Casey, James, thank you very much. And Dr. Thank Rick, you. you're always a, a, a wonderful uh, and gracious host, big time. Great conversation. Loved it. Appreciate you guys. It's been fun. Thank, thank you all very much. All right. Thank, thank you very you much for joining In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. We're going to have other great conversations, especially with uh, Dr. Rick and others coming right your way. Thank you very much.